Hello, and welcome to Level with Emily. This is the Kyle LaFade Dance Party. It's a big band with roots in the Bay Area, roots in New York also. And I stumbled across Kyle in a little bit of a roundabout way. I first knew him as a jazz vibraphonist while I was listening to one of my current favorite jazz pianists, this pianist named Sullivan Fortner. Sullivan Fortner's newest album is a duo album with Kyle on Vibes. I had not heard of Kyle, so I went to YouTube and typed in Kyle LaFade, and his band came up. And lo and behold, there were a bunch of video game music covers of uh, his that his band was playing, and there were also links to videos of his days as a professional Smash Bros player. So it just like opened up this whole delightful can of worms when I searched for who the heck is this amazing jazz vibraphonist that I really like right now. So. Uh, In fact, what you're listening to right now is a composition of Kyle's that he named after a game mechanic in Smash Bros. called SDI. So anyhow, once I found Kyle, I immediately emailed him and we set up this chat where we talk about jazz, we talk about big bands, his love for that uh, genre of jazz, we talk about Smash Bros. and more. As always, you'll find a playlist, and this will be an extensive one, on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash level. I had such a great time talking with Kyle, and here he is talking about his band, the Kyle Fade Dance Party. The Kyle Fade Dance Party is a 20-plus piece big band. Uh, it takes the standard big band instrumentation, but then adds a few pieces, like an extra trumpet, for really high notes, an extra tuba for really low notes, sometimes an extra saxophone for some solos, and then I'll play different instruments like vibraphone or tambourine, or I'll play trumpet or piano. And I write all of the music, and the, the thing that all of the music has in common is it's stuff that I like. And so we just want the music to be really fun and exciting and interesting and try to make good music regardless of whatever sort of outside influences of like you have to play this way or you want to try to play this venue so don't do this song or do do this song or mm-hmm. if i see a meme online with the with a funny piece of music that i like i'll do an arrangement of it if i play a video game that has music i like i'll arrange it uh, if i have a classical piece that i'm playing on piano i'll see if i can figure out a way to arrange it just whatever kind of strikes my fancy i write it for the band and so we've been Working for a, a little over 10 years now, our first performance was uh, April 9th of 2011, which was a dance party. And that's where we got our name. A friend of mine said, oh, you should call it the dance party. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, we just, we just love people having fun and moving to the music. And we do a lot of dance performances, but we also do a lot of seated performances. So whenever we play somewhere, people say, wait, is this like a dance or do we just listen? And I always have to clarify (laughs) based on which one it is. But um, yeah, we started in New York City and I moved back to the San Francisco Bay Area where I grew up in 2018. So the last three years, we've been doing more stuff on the West Coast, but started touring more. And I have kind of groups of people out here, groups of people in LA, New York. So we can kind of have a a national band to go around and do whatever big gigs we hopefully pick up. Wow. So, okay. So I, I found you because of, you know, my affinity, as I said in the intro for a pianist named Sullivan Fortner. So you definitely are a skilled jazz musician. You guys just released an album together called T for two, which is absolutely fabulous by the way. I love it. Oh, thank you. But did you start on keyboard or did you start on trumpet or what was your path there? So I actually started on violin. Both of my parents are music teachers. My mom is a violinist and violist and pianist, and she teaches private Suzuki lessons on strings. Okay. And my dad is a public school, middle school band teacher, and he plays piano and trumpet. My dad is primarily a jazz musician. My mom's primarily a classical musician. And so we had a lot of, a lot of really good opportunities growing up to play all sorts of different things. So I have three sisters, two older and one younger, and all four of us started on violin, and then played piano. 
And so we all took Suzuki lessons in, in those and then eventually branched out to our different instruments. My oldest sister stuck with violin. My other older sister ended up switching to cello pretty early on. And my younger sister became a bass player and singer. But my path to my instruments took a little bit longer. I, I really liked playing video games growing up and didn't like practicing. And so my parents were worried that maybe I wouldn't become a musician. But then they sort of came to terms with it. And like, you know, maybe he'll just be, you know, he'll get some other kind of job and do something. And that's fine. Because I didn't like violin or practicing it. I didn't really do much with piano. And then I started trumpet in band in uh, fourth grade, mostly because my dad played trumpet. And mm-hmm. I liked that a lot, but I still didn't practice a whole lot. Hmm. And then when I got to middle school, I went to my dad's middle school program. And it was a different district than where I went to elementary school. So I didn't really know anyone there. So at lunchtime, I would just go to the band room and just play different instruments. And since my dad was the band teacher, I could kind of play whatever instruments I wanted. So I started playing drums. Uh, which eventually led me to different percussion instruments like the vibraphone. I started bass, played some trombone, played some clarinet, bass clarinet, uh, got back into piano. Uh, So I started messing around on a bunch of different instruments, and vibes was always the one that was my strongest. Hmm. But since it's so obscure, it didn't really have a lot of opportunities for playing in honor bands or, or auditioning for different things like that. So... I would always do vibes and trumpet. Trumpet was the instrument most people knew me for, but then vibes was my best one. And so I ended up going to college as a jazz trumpet major, but I was playing vibes a lot. But because I was in New York City, hard to wheel vibes around. And so I never even got a set out there. So most of my vibes playing was out here in the Bay Area. And Mm. with Sullivan, the interesting thing is that he and I have known each other now for... 13 years and we've been best friends that whole time and we just really clicked right away and i met him at my house my dad had him over to be a sort of student at our jazz workshop uh, because he had heard him when he was a student at oberlin and so we were in a combo together and we just started playing and loved it and so we played mostly piano and vibes together but the only time we performed was in the Bay Area whenever he would come visit. And okay. so the, okay. the first time we ever played outside of the Bay Area was when we released the album T for Two. We drove down to L.A. and played at the Blue Whale. So it's been fun having people start to know me as a vibraphonist a little more over this last year because it really is my strongest instrument. It's the, And it's one of the ones I've liked best ever since I started it. But... I didn't pursue much of a singular career in it until a little more recently. Exciting with all of that growth and development musically is this uh, video game um, side of your life. And I mean, you're like a legit Smash Brothers person. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, talk to us about your alter ego, Diz Kid Boogie. So the fun thing about Diz Kid Boogie is that that is, um, as I'm sure many of your jazz savvy listeners would guess is inspired by dizzy gillespie because he was my favorite trumpet player when i was a little kid still one of my favorites now My dad called me Diz Kid, but then my older sister, she used to tickle me and call. she'd say, you're such a boogie boy, and tickle me while she says boogie boy. So Diz Kid Boogie became my email and 
and tag for everything. And um, yeah, I always loved playing video games, like I was saying earlier. And Smash Bros. was one of my favorites. And I would always beat my friends, for the most part, uh, until I had this one friend who I just couldn't beat him. He used Samus. And he would just shoot me with missiles and, and do dash attacks against me. And I just couldn't beat it. His name was Andreas Riggi. And uh, he and his brother Stefan, the three of us, would play all the time. And I really wanted to beat Andreas. So I went online and said, like, help with ice climbers beating Samus in Smash Bros. And I found this website called Smashboards, which just opened the whole world to me of advanced techniques and videos to watch. And most importantly, tournaments. So I started attending tournaments in like the end of my junior year in high school. Um, so that was, I guess, 2005. Or, the, you know, the first tournament I went to was in the end of 2004. So middle of my junior year. And I just went to little things here and there over the next, I guess, 10 years. But then I went to a really big tournament with some friends who had told me about it after not playing for a while. And I assumed I would do poorly. but Somehow I got really far in my bracket and that gave me some inspiration to try doing it for real. And so I started practicing a bunch and put in a ton of time. I was probably practicing like six to eight hours a day and wow. then studying videos for another four hours and then doing just theory crafting and talking to people about matchups for another few hours. So I was just all day just working on Smash. And um, yeah, so I competed professionally for... About three years, ended up being ranked top 25. I was number 24 in the world for two years. And then at a very, very brief point in there, I was considered top 20, but never got farther than that and then started to lose interest in competing. And so now I just play for fun with my friends. And if they want to play some teams, I'll enter a teams tournament because I like teams better. But uh, yeah, it was about three, three and a half years ago. I started to lose my interest in competitions and got back to really full-time music work, much to the delight of my bandmates. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about, um, like, have you always had this kind of interest in arranging for big band? Because that's that's a whole different body of everything. I mean, that's just a, that's just a different thing, you know? Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of kind of niche. Although I'm I'm happy to see that more and more people are starting to do it where it used to be that I mean in the old days obviously everyone had a big band during the dance like the swing era and stuff. But mm -hmm. then it was like, yeah, jazz big band, it's kind of a lot of work and you know, whatever. But but now it seems like everybody who is any kind of famous jazz musician is doing at least some kind of work with a big band. Yeah. So like Christian, the Christian McBride big band, you know, Christian McBride wasn't known as a big band leader for a lot of his career, but then he was like, I like big band and did it. And they've been working and touring a bunch and Roy Hargrove did a bunch of big band stuff. And then people now, everybody's making videos with big bands. Um, yeah, I'm going to be doing an arrangement for Chad Lefkowitz Brown, who was the original first tenor player in the dance party. And he's been doing a bunch of big band stuff. So I'm, yeah, I'm loving seeing that. Yeah. For my journey through big band music uh, also started pretty young. When I was going into fourth grade, my dad would put a CD of the Smithsonian Collection of Classic Jazz into a boombox in my room and put it on repeat as I was falling asleep. Huh. So every night and every morning when I woke up, I'd be hearing jazz. And a lot of the recordings on that Smithsonian Collection are big bands, like Benny Goodman and... I remember Louis Belson playing St. Louis was was one I always remember uh, hearing. So I always really liked big band music because my dad was really knowledgeable about it. Both of my parents went to see Stan Kenton and Buddy Rich and Woody Herman uh, like all the time when they would tour in the area. So they were big band jazz fans and had a really good collection of music for me to listen to. And I did before school jazz band and those were always big bands so i was having more opportunities to hear that music and be involved with that music and then i was just really interested and inspired to start writing once i got to high school i wrote my first composition in eighth grade 
for hmm. small group and wrote a couple of other small group compositions. But then in the summer before my sophomore year of high school, I decided I wanted to do a big band arrangement of my favorite song, which at the time was Cherokee by Ray Noble. And I was inspired by a couple of different uh, recordings, but one of the one of the big ones was Gordon Goodwin's Count Bubba, which we had played my freshman year in high school jazz band. And mm-hmm. Count Bubba has this little acapella section where the trumpets, trombones, and saxes each have their own like 16 bars to play without the rhythm section. So I made this whole roadmap of like, okay, I'll have the intro, I'll have the melody, I'll have a sax solo, I'll go into these little solely things and the shout chorus and I channel one suite, Buddy Rich. That was another one that I listened to a lot and stole stole a lot of inspiration from that. Um, the Magic Flea, Sammy Nestico's tune for the Basie album, Basie Straight Ahead. That's another one that I took influence from. <laughs> um, I used Giant Steps chord changes. Uh, for the saxophone solely, like I just took all these things that I really loved from these different recordings and tried to throw them into a big band arrangement, and it came out really well. And the my high school band played it, and we had a lot of fun with it. So I just started writing more big band arrangements, and eventually would start just composing for big band instead of even composing a tune and then arranging it. I just really liked working with big band, um, yeah. and so I did it. A good amount um, on up to college, but then when I got to college, I really started studying a lot of big band music. I got really into Duke Ellington and transcribed a bunch of Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn charts, and then branched out to other things. Transcribed a bunch of Nelson Riddle, some Sammy Nestico, some Thad Jones, um, mm. some like classic Basie charts, a lot of Frank Foster like shiny stockings and blues and hoss flat for me like i just got way way into writing for big band and then and so then my senior year that's when i the end of my senior year in college that's when i started the dance party and i was like you know what big band is my favorite thing to write for it's my favorite thing to play in my favorite thing to lead and a lot of my best friends really liked playing in big bands so it's like big band yeah let's do it It's one of the most fun. The only other time I had that much fun playing in anything, because I played in jazz bands all the way through, all the way through, you know, college. And I didn't in grad school, but I did, you know, like I think people who are into it do play through all all the way through college. But the only other time I had that much fun, I played in a a British style brass band, which was super fun. But oh, cool. Yeah, and that was that was really fun. I, we didn't have any horn players, so I played my flugelhorn and transposed up a fifth or whatever it was on the fly. I, I don't. Oh, I wow. probably would not be able to do that now, but <laughs> I could then. But that's impressive. That's a hard transposition. <laughs> it, it was, but uh, when I was an undergrad, I um, used to get because I was a trumpet player, and I would get you know transposition. That's such a big thing for trumpets, right? To know how to do that and. I would get assignments from my teacher each week and I would just sight read them every time and he finally figured it out like two years into my lessons that I wasn't practicing those at all. I'm like, it was just kind of funny. That was always something I was really good at. I got got in so much trouble my, was it my junior year? Maybe no, it was my senior year. We, um, you know, John Faddis, the trumpet player. Oh yeah. So, so he, he grew up in the same area as my dad and they knew each other in high school and have been you know not like super tight or anything but you know friends yeah. you know all all through so anytime they would see each other they'd recognize each other and say hi and stuff like that and so he always was really encouraging to me and he was checking in on my development and things like that and so i was in my senior year my teacher was chris jowdis who's really big time broadway lead player crazy high chops and super powerful nice. endurance he was the first guy to play lead with the dance party and and <laughs> now we do um 
we have a scream book, which is for the high note trumpet solos, and a lead book. And the lead book, our lead player is Ryan DeWeese, and and he's pretty much the only person on the planet who can play that book, both in terms of like the endurance, hmm. the range, and but most importantly, just like the technical ability and stylistic interpretations. Um, because the lead part, it doesn't, it almost never goes above uh, G above the staff like mm-hmm. an octave above the staff like maybe he'll double the screen part on a, a couple like b flats or something but for the most part it goes to a range that lead players have yeah but it's just really weird technical difficult stuff that's not typical for the trumpet even though i'm a trumpet player yeah. it's just kind of the way i hear trumpet lines i'm like oh i want it to be like this yeah and so that lead part is really hard and then there's the scream part which is for people who can play you know notes above double C and just play these crazy high solo parts. And sometimes there's some technically uh, dexterous things there too. And when Chris Jowdis was playing with us, I didn't have two parts. All of that was in the lead part. Hmm. So, so he was, he was not only playing these like really complicated lead parts that need to, you know, show the band stylistically what we're doing and play this technical stuff and weird counting. But he was also playing these solos that go above double C. And it, I mean, he was—he's just an amazing trumpet player. I can't—I wow. can't even say enough about his skills. But anyway, he was my teacher, and he had me playing these etudes. And I would show up to the lesson and sight read them. And one week he said, um, "You know, he told me what things were not going well with them." And and he said, no, I, I know you worked hard on this. I mean, you clearly put a lot of time in, so I'm not trying to say that. It's just, you know, you need to fix this and that. And I was really offended by that because I didn't, I didn't want him to think that that was the level I would have if I had practiced something. Like, right. that was the level I had sight reading. So I told him, I was like, you know, I, I didn't practice this at all. And he's like, what do you mean at all? I was like, at all. I just was sight reading. And he's like, Kyle, that's very bad. <laughs> because he said if he was if he was going to give me a passing grade in my lessons, I have to be practicing. Yeah. And so we had this big come to Jesus talk about putting time in and practicing. And around the same time, John Faddis came to school to be a uh, guest artist. We were doing Porgy and Best, the Gil Evans oh. uh, for Miles Davising. Nice. So he played some of the lead parts and all the Miles solos. And because he knows me, he was really pushing me in this master class he's like does anybody have any questions and you know some there were no questions left and he said come on kyle ask me a question i was like oh um i i don't know i don't have these yeah you have a question come on kyle ask me something (laughs) in front of in front of all the trumpets right and so i said okay well like how do you come to enjoy practicing like i don't like practicing and he said well how much do you practice i said well i don't he said what do you mean you don't i said well i don't and that got back to the director of the program and I got back to Chris Jowdis, and Chris Jowdis had to really have a talking to with me. And oh, it was, it was very funny. But, uh, like <laughs> I, I was, I was close to getting in big trouble, and I was close to getting my teacher in big trouble. Wow! And so he made, he, yeah, we had to really sort that out. That's amazing. Because first of all, <laughs> it's not like you're the only music student who's not practicing. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny. It was it, this was kind of a a constant thing for me, which was that because I had so many different musical outlets, yeah, it, it was hard for me to to really focus on any one. And I think writing is the thing that I was always good about doing. Like I said, I listen to music all the time. I think about composing music. I mean, even now as we're speaking. I have music going through my head. It's just 24 seven. There's like something being composed or improvised and I would transcribe a lot and be writing and thinking about the band. And yeah, I think writing is the one thing where practicing doesn't feel like work. It's just something that I do. And so it makes me think I'm not practicing because I'm just doing it and I really like it. Whereas Uh for the most, for most of my life, practicing technique on instruments felt like a chore luckily actually during the pandemic with nothing else to do i started practicing trumpet and piano a lot more Hmm. and um i love it it's a lot of fun so (laughs) i so i like i like the technique practicing now but yeah with writing i was always able to work hard at it and improve at it uh technically 
without feeling like I was doing work or chores or anything like that. So talk to me about some of your favorite, I mean, you've, you've made allusions to these in our conversation already, but I'd like to hear more about some of the music, like say someone says to you, Kyle, I don't know anything about big band. Where do you start? And I guess more specifically, because that's kind of an, could be kind of an overwhelming question. If you had to choose, you know, a couple suggestions from, from the dance band era, from the big band era, or a couple of selections from bands today. What would you, what do you recommend for people? Well, I'd probably want to give a pretty wide range of stylistic examples so that someone, uh, someone can find something they like. I wouldn't want to give them, you know, all their bands are like sort of post-bop Thad Jones style bands. And then if they don't like that, they're like, oh, I don't like big band. Right. So the kind of classic swing band sound i would definitely go with benny goodman i feel like benny goodman had such a great combination of the different things that different types of bands were doing at that time so like the really famous dance bands like uh, paul whiteman or glenn miller you know they had these kind of uh like through composed pieces with string arrangements and different doubles and Mm-hmm. And they played these very popular songs in sort of a, not light, but just, very, I mean, very, very danceable and sort of, there's a lot of like easygoing music to listen to from those kinds of bands. And Benny Goodman had a lot of those players. He had a lot of those writers. Um, and he was such a great soloist and showman. Like his band had that kind of appeal. But then there were also like kind of the blues and riff bands, like the Basie Band or the Lunciford Band. Fletcher Henderson, where like there was a lot more, um, like they had, at least to my knowledge, a lot more really great soloists. So they would open up the tunes a lot more for those soloists to play. Mm-hmm. You know, like Louis Armstrong and Coleman Hawkins uh, were playing in these bands and they were just like members of the band. And so you'd have uh, those kinds of features as well. And Benny Goodman had a lot of players like that. Um, like Lionel Hampton and Teddy Wilson and Harry James and Gene Krupa. Like there were just so many great soloists. And so he would have these long tunes like Sing, Sing, Sing. Perfect example. It's got all these different sections and it's a very thorough arrangement. But then also have clarinet solo and trumpet solo and drum solo um and he and and he purchased a lot of fletcher henderson's arrangements um and so they were doing really cool really cool stuff like down south camp meeting is one of my absolute favorites King Porter Stomp. So, Benny, yeah, definitely Benny Goodman for the swing bands because I feel like he's got that swing band sound, but it also is very clear how his sound would lead into later bands. And then I would say I would like to give them one of my favorite composers and bands. And it's also nice because it's very, uh, it's definitely fusion, but not fusion in the sense that it's like, oh, jazz and rock. It's like he really fused all different kinds of music. And that's the trumpet player, Don Ellis. I love Don Ellis's trumpet playing. I love his compositions. I love odd time signatures. Seven is my favorite time signature. And I play and write in seven a lot. And he was just an absolute master of, of rhythm. I mean, he, he was a brilliant orchestrator. And he used different instruments and different forms and different harmonic devices. But... Rhythm is the thing for which he's most known, and his music is so exciting and alive. And he played a lot of popular songs 
from you know the 60s and 70s and things like that so his music i think has a different kind of appeal where i was at a jam session the other night and people were playing a song and i'm like wait i know that song and it was um it was this rock song they were playing but i realized i heard don ellis play it so i think he has a little bit more like popular appeal in that sense and the music has such a unique and vibrant sound i feel like it's really great for people to hear yeah. and his music's very influential to me too so if they like if they're if they have some kind of interest in my opinion about big band music that <laughs> will definitely be a place they'll want to go Don Ellis and I said Benny Goodman yep. and then a band uh, today that I really like the band doesn't play as much right now because the leader does all sorts of different things but this was one of my main influences in starting the dance party and writing my own music and kind of the uh, more like backbeat based stuff I write I stole most of that from a trombone well he's a multi-instrumentalist but mostly trombone a bass player named Adam Thies T-H-E-I-S Nice. And he lives in the Bay Area. Uh, he grew up in the North Bay and lives in Oakland. And he has a group called Jazz Mafia. Yeah. And, and they, yeah, they, they combine mostly, it's like jazz and hip hop. And then there's a lot of w different world music inspiration. And, and he has studied so much music and knows so many different things. He's kind of like Don Ellis, too, where he <laughs> plays different instruments, does a lot of different rhythms. Um, a lot of mixed meter things and adds all these different instruments and different, um, yeah, different combinations of styles. And so the, the group within Jazz Mafia that inspired me the most is called the Realistic Orchestra. a standard big band setup but then he would add strings and horns and winds and djs and extra percussion and rappers and singers and he wrote a hip-hop symphony called brass bows and beats that i transcribed a bunch of that and studied a lot of it hmm. and oh, it's such cool stuff his 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 voicings are amazing and it this is kind of like a a, a very specific thing but but I just have to mention it is that the way he uses minor chords is really, really uh, like captures my attention. He's so he's got so many different sounds and voicings that he uses on minor chords. And he's and he combinations of half diminished and minor seven and minor major seven and minor 11 and minor sharp 11 and just and minor six chords and minor six. Nine, like, he just uses all these different types of minor voicings to get these really unique sounds. And I feel like he's like the minor master. Obviously, his major stuff is good, too. But uh, <laughs> he's, his, his writing is so amazing. I love it. And he's a, he's a great band leader, a wonderful person. I'm really happy to be friends with him and play with him a lot. Um, and he actually gave me some of my first big band gigs. I played with the Realistic Orchestra when I was... Uh, maybe like a freshman or a sophomore in high school. Wow. And yeah, he would hire me to do these gigs playing with this band that I loved listening to. And so um, one of my compositions, Wolves of Mibu, is very, very directly inspired by him. And we actually played it with the Realistic Orchestra uh, some number of years later. And that was really cool for me because I just love his music. I've been hearing that song for 10 years. Someone is a ghetto. Alright, you're good and righteous. 
And like I said, there's rappers and MCs and um, and singers and DJs and so people who are interested in hip hop or other like types of like more modern music can really find a lot that they would like in mm-hmm. Adam's writing. So Adam Thies and the Realistic Orchestra that would be the next big band I'd recommend. That's three. Uh, I always <laughs> like doing five of things. I think okay. If if you have five completely different things that are all of high quality from some genre and you don't like any of them, then yeah, maybe you just don't like that. So if, if someone hears these five big bands and doesn't like any of them, then yeah, maybe they don't like big band music. Um, and then the, the two that I haven't said yet, which I would, Oh gosh, no. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say count Basie, even though count Basie is so important and of people should hear count Basie. Um, just because for the big band music that I love to listen to, I would be remiss if I don't say these other two and count Basie is probably of all those bands I've listed and I'm going to list. Maybe that would be like number six uh, for my listening pleasure, but people should listen to Basie. So we'll just make the list six long. Go listen to count Basie. um, Cause it's great. who okay. was active during the dance years, but then also did all the Don Ellis type stuff. Hank Levy, who wrote for Don Ellis, wrote a lot for Stan Kenton. Stan Kenton was really a pioneer in having these different arrangers write experimental things. His band was one of the bands that was using electric bass early on, um, but Odd Time Signatures he was doing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of Cuban rhythms and different rhythms from other countries he would use. Cuban Fire Suite by Johnny Richards is a great example of that. Bill Holman wrote a bunch of great stuff for Stan Kenton, too. But my favorite writer for Stan Kenton was Bill Russo, trombone player. And when he was writing for Stan Kenton, that was like the Innovations Orchestra era, where they had Maynard Ferguson playing the crazy high note solos (laughs) on trumpet. They had Buddy Childers on lead trumpet. They had Conti Condoli playing trumpet solos. They had um, Frank Rosalino playing trombone solos. Um, Bob Burgess on lead trombone George Roberts on bass trombone. Um, for a while, um, Art Pepper was playing, but then also Lee Konitz was doing. I mean, they just had Stan Levy on drums. It just the band is amazing. <laughs> it's one of my favorite big bands of all time. And Bill Russo's writing so masterfully used everyone's unique skills. And there's a great track called um, "This Is an Orchestra." This is an orchestra. A group of musicians gathered together because of a belief in a particular music. Where Stan like Kenton he narrates. Uh, this whole story introducing all the members of the band where they have little solo features or duet features, and it's great. Some musicians have a zest for happy excitement. This fellow has few, if any, quiet, moody moments. His trombone playing is an honest reflection of himself. Frank Rossellino. Really, anything Bill Russo wrote for the band, I love. And it's a great album called Portraits and Standards. And they do just classic tunes like Autumn in New York and April in Paris and How High the Moon um, and You in the Night and the Music. And they're just beautiful, beautiful arrangements. And another guy who was great with minor chords, the the way Bill Russo especially used half diminished chords with a minor ninth on top is really, really interesting to me because every time I play a half diminished chord, I always like using the major nine. It's just, 
you know, it ends up being a Locrian Sharp II scale. And it's like, that just feels more comfortable to me melodically, um, since it's a mode of melodic minor. <laughs> melodically, yes. it's like, it just flows nicely. And so I never got really comfortable using minor ninths on half diminished chords. But Bill Russo does it so well. I love the sound of it. So it's mm-hmm. it's something that I study and try to check out. And And the big thing that's kind of influential to me for stan kenton's music was that he had that bigger group so he would have the extra bass trombone have an extra mm-hmm. barry sax and have that extra scream soloist so buddy childers played lead but maynard ferguson played those high note solos and so in um expanding my band to a bigger size kenton has been a big inspiration for that all the way through um i love love kenton's music especially the bill russo charts so that's the one i recommend and then uh the last band and I saved the best for last, of course, <laughs> is Duke Ellington. Yes. And Duke Ellington, oh, man, I don't even know what what I could possibly say about Duke Ellington because he's he's just, I, I he's one of my favorite composers of all time. I think he's the greatest American composer. And it's it's a shame that jazz is such a differently viewed thing than classical music. To the point where when people say, who are the great American composers? And people say, well, I guess, you know, Aaron Copeland, Samuel Barber, maybe talk about Milton Babbitt or John Cage, if you're into that, and Leonard Bernstein. Yeah, like, you know, Steve Reich, who knows? But they'll go through all that. And it's like, but what about Duke Ellington? And Duke Mm -hmm. Ellington, he just, he took big band music, which was dance music at the time, and just composed these beautiful and weird and sometimes ugly and all all these Mm -hmm. really interesting sounds that and he just made amazing music and talking about the soloists in kenton's band the soloists in ellington's band geez i mean the whole sax section was just yeah amazing you know and everyone was good at very different things and so you had you know, a trombone section with like Quentin Jackson um, a little bit later, but of course, Tricky Sam Nanton doing all the plunger stuff and Lawrence Brown on like the beautiful high note solos and Juan Teasel playing valve trombone. Like everyone mm. was so different and he used their sounds in such perfect ways. A lot of people mm-hmm. talk about uh, writing for big band and you write for the people and writing for the individuals. And that's kind of where they leave the conversation. That's sort of. <laughs> Uh, as a slight aside, my my main problem with a lot of teaching that people do um, is that they'll sort of say the thing that they've heard people say, but then not explain <laughs> why that thing is true because nobody ever explained it to them. <laughs> and I think writing writing for your musicians as opposed to just writing for the instruments is a very popular thing to say, but then not understand what that means. And I think studying Duke Ellington is the absolute best way to to learn that because he would have different trumpet players play different parts of the chord, depending on how he wanted the chord to sound. So it wasn't, even though Cat Anderson was the guy who could play, you know, F above triples high C, he wasn't always playing the high notes in the chords. Sometimes he'd play the, the bottom note in the chord. And there were just this, the sounds of these trumpet players were so different. I mean, in like, if you had Cat Anderson, he had a very like strong, sharp, like almost like too like filling up the sound too much and spilling over the edge kind of sound. And then Ray Nance had this just beautiful, like almost almost like crackling apart sound. Every time I hear Ray Nance, it sounds like maybe he's about to forget how to play trumpet. (laughs) The sound's going to fall away, but it never does. It's always just right on that edge. And it's so beautiful in his melodic sense. Oh, he's, I mean, he, he might be my favorite soloist in, in all the years of Duke County. Ray Nance. So amazing. (laughs) 
And then Clark Terry had that really like smooth kind of flugally sound, almost like he was using a bucket mute all the time. Um, and so, yeah, and so all these different players would be used in different ways. I mean, Duke would have uh, Asphalt Jungle is a great example of the saxophone solely with the trumpet lead. And he used Clark Terry because Clark Terry had that particular sound and that particular type of articulation wow. to just fit the saxes perfectly. The, the way we're taught to play in big band is to really get inside the lead player's sound and the section should sound like one unit. And that's typically a really great way to do it. And that's Kenton's band did that. Basie's band did that. I mean, you'd even have bands where everyone had the same silver flare trumpet playing in like Harry James section and stuff like that. <laughs> and that does make for a really nice big band sound. But Ellington's bands, it, it, it almost never sounded like a one solid section sound you could always tell who's playing what part if you listen closely enough because you can hear their individual tones so well and i think that's first off that's a really interesting beautiful thing it gets this kind of weird shimmer that you don't get in a lot of other music because it's like you hear all the different parts jumping out as opposed to hearing the melody and then just everything else is sort of in there it's like you hear every part and it brings out the individuality of the players, but then it also allows Duke to do some really cool stuff. And like with his sax solis, what he'd often do is write the two altos, first tenor, and the berry as a four-part voicing, which sometimes is in the span of an octave, but sometimes is farther than an octave. And then he would have the second tenor just play the alto melody down an octave. And so as the voicing of those other four are changing... Sometimes the second tenor is the bottom voice, but sometimes the berry is the bottom voice. And so, in like um, diminuendo in blue and crescendo in blue is a good example of that. Or um, uh, Such Sweet Thunder is another one. That's a really famous sax solo of his. solos over the top so it's like perfect and <laughs> it's um yeah it's like that sound is very unusual and i think if most bands would play that you wouldn't really hear much of a change because the tenor and the berry would be so concentrated on getting inside the lead alto sound and so you just kind of hear five saxophones but yeah. here you're hearing five individuals and so when when one voice is moving contrary to the other voices you really hear that and the other thing that's great for that, which is probably why I was able to to do so many transcriptions of it, is that because you can hear all these individual voices, it's much easier to transcribe. Even huh. though the music is very complex and the chords are very weird. Oh, there's this great exercise that um, David Berger, who has done all those transcriptions for Jazz at Lincoln Center, he taught a class at my college. And he told us this story where Duke Ellington would give Mercer Ellington, his son, an exercise of you play a C on the piano and then you, you make a melody that doesn't use the note C. And then you play a C and a G on the piano at the same time. And you make a melody that doesn't use either of those two notes. And you keep adding notes in your left hand, playing a chord on the piano. And then you need to come up with a melody that fits that chord, but doesn't use any of the notes in that chord. Wow. And once you once you get to even if you just have C like C D E G, even with just those four notes, just like a C major triad add two, it's mm-hmm. already like 
pretty hard to come up with a melody <laughs> that's consonant and works over that. Yeah. And so then you get into uh, things like Such Sweet Thunder and some of the other suites that he did with Billy Strayhorn. And these melodies are very, very strange, but they all work and they sound good. And he just wrote such interesting, really interesting music. He was insanely prolific, thousands and thousands of songs, yeah. tons of suites and, and big works. I mean, Harlem, which is like 15 minutes of just pure history of jazz and orchestration, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like one of my favorite pieces of his. And then Black, Brown, and Beige, of course, is like an yeah. hour long of all this great stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, Duke Ellington is my absolute favorite. Duke sounds like Duke. And so... Yeah. I, I know people who don't like Duke Ellington's sound, and I would never want to tell people, listen to Duke Ellington, and if you don't like that, then you don't like big bands. So it's even though he's my favorite, I do like to include those others. So we're <laughs> going to make the list six just because I think it would be a disservice to Basie with how great his band is and how important it is yeah. to not have him in there. So in no particular order, Benny Goodman, Stan Kenton, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Adam Thies, and Don Ellis. Those would be the six bands to check out to get a nice chronology of big bands, hear different kinds of sounds, and uh, see if somebody is interested in big band music. And then once they hear that, and then they hear my music, they'll be like, oh, so Kyle, actually, you don't do anything original. You just steal from these guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kyle, what is the first, um, to kind of tie all this in with games, what's the first game uh, music that you made an arrangement of for Big Band? I did a medley of um, music from Super Mario Bros. And and through kind of through the years of Super Mario Bros. Because I had the original ground stage music. The underground music, which is a blues, actually, <laughs> turns out. And then uh, I had the underwater music, and then I had the Rainbow Road, like the the music from Super Mario sixty four when you're uh-huh. going on a race, and the invincibility music when you get the star. <laughs> so yeah, I did that. I think that was my junior year in high school. I did that one, and you've done a lot more. Yeah, and and actually, I think just playing playing melee. Uh, that was the version of Smash that I played, uh, was the GameCube one. So playing that and just being really involved in that scene, and that's what made me get a Twitter account in the first place, was to be able to let my whatever few fans I had, let them know where I was playing and if I was on stream. And yeah, just being in that world got me really, uh, made me very aware of meme culture and just mm. all sorts of things. And so Guile's theme goes with everything. I loved that. That was great, especially when it's Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince playing uh, Hustling the Pool Hustler. Uh, what a classic scene. And then when you put Guile's theme on it, it's like, oh, Uncle Phil, yes. So I did an arrangement of that. arranged a couple other video game tunes and it's actually interesting because like i was saying when i was really deep into smash i wasn't doing as much with the band and my bandmates were worried about it they're like hey are we gonna you know do some more stuff we'd have like a couple gigs a year but before i did that we were playing you know multiple times a month but the cool thing was that through smash um we got a gig at this big event called super smash con uh, because my friend Mike Broncado, whose uncle is actually uh, Paul Broncado in the San Francisco Symphony. Um, so Mike is really into a lot of different kinds of music. He plays music. 
and he's a really great ice climbers player, the same character I used. He was actually someone who I learned a lot from and studied. But he also is a tournament organizer, and he helped run this huge event, Super Smash Con, and they needed music. And so he asked me if, uh, if my band could play at it. And so then that sort of encouraged me to do some more arrangements of video game music, and then we recorded some videos, and two of the videos have over a million views. One of them is close to two. And, um, like we got a lot of, uh, a lot of visibility all because I was doing this video game music all because I was playing video games and not doing the band. So in a weird way, <laughs> uh, we, we got a, a unique audience from the fact that I wasn't being very good at, uh, keeping the band going. <laughs> <laughs> because now now i'm seeing that like people are really into video game music and and there are more big bands who are doing video game music arrangements and people are understanding and accepting that video game music is real music it's not some joke and these composers are great composers Uh, their music is just being paired with a particular media just like a film composer or a tv composer Mm -hmm. which does lead me to the person who i had wanted to name in my list of big bands but there's not enough recorded music of his for for him to take over those other writers but he's or those other band leaders but he's right up there he's one he's my favorite living big band composer and definitely one of my favorite all-time big band composers and that's nate sparks so people should go on go on youtube and look for nate sparks he, he probably has you know like eight or eight or ten songs online but his writing is beautiful and he combines all the things that I love of all those bands and his, his music to me really does an amazing job of taking these new interesting things. Like he wrote an arrangement of the Nyan cat song (laughs) (laughs) and um, that's a great one. And he did a a song called end credits for an unreleased Mario Kart game. And it just, he took the vibe of Mario Kart with like, the bass the long form bass lines and the drum grooves and like these flowing melodies over the topic do 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 that kind of thing So he's he's done arrangements of video game music. Uh, he did uh, Professor Egad's theme from Luigi's Mansion, um, and I think that one he's doing a. I think he's working on a like a split screen video for that right now. So that would be really fun to see when it comes out. Yeah. But tons of really cool odd time signature stuff, different instruments. He's transcribed tons of Ellington and Strayhorn, and he's got that sound down. I mean, he's just. He's brilliant. I love his music. Um, and his band was really starting to take off right before the pandemic. They had recorded an album and were doing some more work. And he was in New York. He was a jazz trumpet player at Juilliard, but he also plays piano. And he's great. Yeah, Nate Sparks, big band. People should definitely check him out and listen to him. And whatever, I don't know what methods he has in terms of like donations or downloads or anything like that but whatever way people can support nate's career i definitely encourage it because he's an absolutely brilliant musician and he's taking the tradition of big band music and honoring the tradition with his writing but continuing to push forward and do really cool stuff and so i definitely want i always want to uh let people know about him whenever i can nate sparks big band
would recommend people do the same with you, honestly, um, because I feel like the same things could be said about you. It's been just so much fun to listen to the band and learn more about you. It was just so funny to to search for you that first time and see all the um, Smash Bros stuff pop up. Was just a, it was just a, a, a treat. But obviously, the music uh, made it really, really um, just. Well, that was the reason I wanted to talk to you. The band is absolutely smoking, and the music is great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, and it's been nice, like some because we were Sullivan and I released uh, T for Two last March of 2020. But somehow, in the last few months, people have been reaching out to me and to, and you know saying about the album, and then people who are friends of Sullivan's who didn't know me, they're like, "Oh man, the album sounds great." And who's this Kyle Fade guy? Like, and it's <laughs> it's been cool to. Uh, to you know, to know that people are hearing it because, I mean, yeah. Sullivan and I love playing together, and and it's and it's something that we don't get to do as much as we'd like, and so doing that album and we did our our West Coast tour like literally the last thing before the pandemic, like wow. people were already sort of like wearing masks and gloves and stuff at our last gig at Piedmont Piano Company. And then, uh, and then that was the last live performance they had. Uh, oh, but really? then they started doing streaming again and we did, um, Sullivan came back to town, uh, last month and we played at Piedmont piano. That's actually up on YouTube. If people want to check it out, just look up Sullivan Fortner, Kyle Thade, Piedmont piano. And th- so that was a live stream that we did. And then we recorded some videos, which are going out the Lamar university, Jimmy Simmons jazz festival had us make a video for them. So it's it's been nice to start playing more and like I was saying be taking my vibraphone career a little more seriously and mm-hmm. I play a lot of vibes with the dance party the first album we did was kind of like a demo an album of demo tracks and I had a couple of vibe solos on that on uh, take the A train and Chelsea Bridge those are on our website kyletheadanceparty.com free to download did our first studio album was the red album which had a bunch of video game music and originals of mine that were inspired by video games and anime and i take a vibe solo on my original composition sdi which is a smash term and there's whole wikipedia articles about what that means so people can check it out We recorded a new album in January of last year, which we're going to be releasing this summer. And I have a, I wrote a feature for myself on I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Mm. So the, where that red album was all like backbeats and straight eighth notes and video game music and anime inspired things. Um, this new album, which is going to be the blue album, is all like swing. There's a couple of little like New Orleans groove type things in there but for the most part it's it's like big band jazz classic sounds people that were not just a video game music band we actually do lots of other things because that's one thing that's been funny because of the success of the youtube videos and and my history and playing professional games and stuff like that is uh when people often hear about the band they go oh you guys are that video game music band right (laughs) <laughs> and uh, well, while we love playing the video game music, we don't want to be known as only that. So yeah. I was happy to get that album recorded, you know, just a couple months before everything shut down with the really great band. Uh, so once we get it released and people can hear that, it'll be nice yeah, to get the music out there.
I hope everyone checks out the, all those bands that I named. They're they're yeah. so great. And and if anybody likes my music, first off, thank you for listening. But secondly, if you listen to those bands, you'll see all the inspiration that I get from them. And uh, it's just it's really great music. Can't can't recommend all of it highly enough. Oh, and I guess the one last thing is I said Duke Ellington is my favorite jazz composer. But my favorite composer of all time, who we didn't mention at all, and everyone should check this person out, is, of course, Johann Sebastian Bach. So go listen to some Bach, everybody. That's what I got to say. Nice. That's why I have his signature tattooed on my arm. (laughs) What? That's amazing. Thanks so much, Kyle. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to episode 150 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Kyle Athade at patreon.com slash level. There's a playlist there, too. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. <laughs>